You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Good to see you all this morning. I don't know, have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever done something that's been just misunderstood? You did something, you had a good intention, and somebody just picked it up the wrong way. How many people here have been misunderstood? Hey, all of us have been misunderstood. Oh, those people in church, they're just misunderstood. I tell you, this morning I want to look again at the book of Job. You might go, oh no, when will the Job thing end? The beauty about the book of Job is this. The book of Job, you could preach about 40 messages out of it without any hesitation. You could do 40 me- I'm not going to do 40 messages, okay? I will leave you alone eventually. But it's just such a good book and there's so many fantastic spiritual lessons to be learned from it. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about the book of Job. This morning's message is called, oh no, please, battery work for me. Oh, I know what I've done wrong. Will you stay there for a second? Watch what I've done. I've done it. He's done it again, hasn't he? I unplugged it and then replugged it. Oh no, it's not working. Don't let me be misunderstood. Robin, you may have to do the necessary here, boy. Let's try again. Baby, sometimes I'm so You're on. Okay. free with a joy that's hard to hide. And sometimes it seems that all I have to do. It's okay. I can't fix it. That's the bad news. So, my beautiful assistant, Robin, my son, is going to help me all the way through this. This morning, I'm going to be talking about a great misunderstanding. It's all on the, uh, the monitors there. Can you take it back over the monitors for me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, Steve? We're talking about a great misunderstanding. I've been doing a series in the book of Job, and just for a brief recap, Robin, on your mark, for a brief recap, the, fir- I, the first message I did was about Job's faith, and it was taken from Job's cha- Job chapter 1, how all of these awful events happened to Job. He lost his wife, he lost his, fa- he didn't lose his wife, he should have lost his wife, but he didn't lose his wife. He lost his kids, he lost his property, he lost everything that was belonged to him, and he ended up in a desperate state, and yet still he did not curse God. Robin. Then I went to part two, and that was called The Accused, and it was the unseen story of Job. The unseen story of Job is the part where the enemy, the devil, comes before the Lord and says, let me at Job, and I'll sort them out for you. I'll prove to you what is in Job. And they also looked at how um, Job's friends accused him of doing wrong, and about how the enemy, the devil, accuses us and accuses you of doing wrong in our lives at times. And he accuses us and puts us in a bad position, and we looked at the position that we have before God in Jesus. Robin, finally, we looked at, which was last week, we looked at friends like these, and that was about how Job's friends came along, and they decided to give him some comfort, but they actually didn't end up giving him any comfort at all. What they did was they tried to fix him, and ended up making the situation worse. And I know that a lot of us were able to relate to the fact that sometimes we go in with the desire to fix things, but end up making them a lot worse. And so, if you will, the story so far looks a bit like this. Robin, on your mark. The story so far looks like this, on your mark. So can I get a click? Yes. So here we have it. Satan misinterprets God. Satan misinterprets Job. Job's wife misinterprets Job. Uh, Job misinterpret. Sorry, Job's wife misinterprets God. 
Job misinterprets his circumstances. Job misinterprets God. And Job's friends misinterpret God. And Job's friends misinterpret Job. That's basically the story so far. The reason that the story so far looks like that is because nobody really knows what's going on. We're actually in a strange situation here, what's called dramatic irony. Has anybody here heard the term dramatic irony? It doesn't matter if you have or haven't. None of you have heard it. Let me explain to you what dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is a a literary device or an acting or a a movie device in which you, the audience, know what's going on in someone's life, but the person themselves does not know what's going on in their lives. I'll give you a classic example in the, in the play Romeo and Juliet, which most of you I'm sure have come across or at least heard of by William Shakespeare. In the play Romeo and Juliet, at the very end of the play, we discover that Juliet has knocked herself out with a potion to try and get away from her father. Romeo arrives in and says, oh no, Juliet is dead and decides that he's going to take poison because he can't live without Juliet. While we, the audience, know that Juliet is not dead, she's only asleep, and we're going, no, Romeo, don't do it, don't do it, Romeo. But Romeo says, I cannot live without her. Prithee, I shall never make the future without my beautiful Juliet. Takes the poison, throws the poison down the hatch, kills himself. I'm sorry, that is William Shakespeare. It's called the tragedy at the end of the day. And Juliet wakes up and goes, oh, Romeo, you're here. But Romeo isn't there, and then Juliet decides to kill herself as well. Welcome to Grace Christian Church. We try to encourage people here if we can at all. It's called dramatic irony. You know what's going on, but the players in the show itself don't know what's going on. And what's going on, and we see in these first few chapters of Job, is a breakdown in communication. Robin. We have a breakdown in communication. Sometimes what we say gets completely misinterpreted by the person who hears it. And that's what I was talking. Sometimes what comes out of our mouths or what comes away from our phone or what gets away from our computer gets completely misunderstood and completely misinterpreted. Sometimes we just, we can suddenly then go and jump to a conclusion. It's a great way to get exercise, can I just suggest to you. Here's a couple of simple ways to get exercises. One, jump to conclusions. Two, push your luck. Three, carry things too far. And four, fly off the handle. There's an Olympic sport in that. Because sometimes we hear something, or hear a clip of something, or we hear a piece of something, and we jump to conclusions. Let me give you an example. Has anybody ever had the experience, and I'm probably speaking to the lads here, when you discover after a few months of pursuit that that girl of your dreams just wants to be friends? How disappointing is that? I just want to be your friend. You think, well, she wants to be my friend. Okay, it's a kind of a plus, but no, it's not. It's not a plus. If she just wants to be friends, your romantic dream is over. You just have to understand it correctly. The other thing is something like texts. I don't know if you've ever had a text misunderstood or misunderstood a text. And texts are disastrous. Texts and emails, I think, are disastrous because you never know the tone in which a text is written, do you? Like, I know that, like, for instance, Tom and I have had a couple of misunderstandings over text over the year. Elma and I have had misunderstandings over the text over, over the year. So you get a text. Now, I won't give you an example of the text. But you read the text in your own voice. So if the text, say, from Tom sent a text to me, will you be there tonight? Question mark. And I'm not in good form, and I'm just not having a great day. I read the text like this. Will you be there tonight? 
You know what I'm saying? We begin to hear it in our own voices. And because of that communication, we can kind of jump to a conclusion that somebody's cross with us or angry or disappointed. Or for instance, you send somebody a text, which actually happened to me last night. Somebody sent me a text. I didn't see the text come in. I didn't respond to it. Or have you ever sent a text and after five minutes thought, the person hates me. They don't like me anymore. They never responded to my text. I asked them how they are and they never answered. Now that doesn't allow for the person falling down a hole. It doesn't mean they're trapped in an elevator. It doesn't allow for them being at work, in a movie, at a meal with somebody more important. (laughs) Anyway, it can include any of those things. But we immediately jump to the conclusion that the person who hates us. And to help us in that, the industry, the text industry, invented emojis. So now we can no longer miscommunicate by a text. So a text that says, will you be there tonight? You just add a little smiley face to it. But can you imagine what life would be like if we were using smiley faces and emojis all the time in real life communication? Imagine saying to someone, or say to, my, say to Tom, will you be there tonight? <laughs> or, what that guy said to me this morning coming into church, I, I was really upset by it. Or if everybody you saw, you kind of gave them a huge thumbs up. Or do you know the, you know the new emojis? Like a, it's, like, it's like the Hulk thumb. You give them the Hulk thumbs up, or the peace sign, or a hogger. And you see, we add these emojis so that there's no confusion. I've often reread a text a few times and gone, I think I need to insert an emoji here, so there's no miscommunication here. Another little emoji here, yes, the smiley face, no, maybe the wink, no, maybe it's a slight smile, I'm not sure. Is it the angry face, is it the sad face? And the worst of all is, no, you can go on Facebook and make a face at somebody's posts. That just drives me nuts. I used to click like, which was bad when somebody would say, my cat just died, like. No, I don't particularly like cats, personally. So it kind of worked for me, you know what I mean? But no, of course, you go on Facebook and somebody says their cat died and you can choose to go... (sighs) You can absolutely black out. You can give so many expressions of feeling towards somebody's poor little cat. Meow. We can get miscommunication. We jump to conclusions. But you know, sometimes things happen in our lives and we can jump to conclusions in them as well. Robin, can you help me out here? Sometimes we can make mistakes and we can just jump immediately to a conclusion. Click away, sir. Here's what Job jumped, the conclusion that Job jumped to. He jumped to this. He said this about the Lord in Job chapter 30. He said, you turn on me ruthlessly. The might of your, with the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death to the place appointed for all the living. You see, Job's circumstances, he immediately jumped to the conclusion that God was against him, that God had turned his face against him and he'd sent the storms after him and that he was going to toss him about in the storm until he killed him. That was Job's conclusion. He looked at his circumstances and immediately said, no, there's something wrong here. And sometimes we look at our circumstances and that's exactly what happens. We jump to a conclusion about something. I told you last week, in the same day, both of my cars broke down and I got sick. And I began to think, oh Lord, am I next? But no, there wasn't anything going on. It was just simply a case of me putting a pattern on things that weren't a pattern. The cars are now fixed and so is my body. Amen. So everything is fine. Everything worked out just fine. And when we were in this situation, when Job jumps to this conclusions, a bit like you can jump to conclusions in your relationships, and sometimes we can look at our circumstances and go, I have no job, I have no wife, I have no whatever. You can add to the list as much as you like. Is God against me? Does God not want my good? God always, 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 always wants your good. 
And sometimes we look back into our lives and we look at circumstances and situations. Can I get a click? We look back at our circumstances and we look at our situations and we ask, why me? Why did this happened to me. Many years ago, I was going through a trial myself, uh, a bit of a situation before we had kids, you fill in the blanks, after somebody told me at 99 to 1 that you will ever have children, Mr. O'Donovan. And this guy came up to me after meeting one day and he said, he said, he was from the north, he said, Michael. And the minute I heard that, I thought, oh, here we go. He said, Michael, he says, you're going through a great trial. He says, I know that God is going to do something mighty in your ministry. And you know the truth of it was? I just wanted to smack him in the mouth and tell him to shut up and mind his own business and he hadn't the first clue what was going on in my life. Of course, I said, thank you, brother. <laughs> you see, we can ask, why me? But the thing about why me is there's a bit of a problem with why me. Robin, can you give me the next one? We can ask, why me? Give us the first click. Thank you. I want to put it to you this morning that is what we call the wasted why. There's something about the why question that actually doesn't do us any good because sometimes there is no answer. In short, wrote Walter Michel, the psychologist and author, in short, for many people, asking why doesn't help. It actually hurts. It actually can make things worse. He did this after 12, 20 years of research. There was a woman called Susan Nolan Hoxima. She did 20 years of research at Yale University. And she basically challenged this idea that, you know, sometimes we ask people, like she was talking about counselors and psychologists, inviting people in who'd gone through great traumas in their lives. And it's important that we understand the traumas that go on in our lives. But she found this. She found that for an awful lot of people, every time they were asked, why do you think you felt that way about your situation, they really went backwards instead of coming forwards. She found that by rethinking the whole situation again, what they did was they stirred up in themselves the same old emotions, the same old wounds, and the same old scars. Again and again, people would come in and relive the whole experience. And she said that in her experience, this was actually debilitating for most people. Like I said, in short, for most people, asking why does not help, it hurts. And the reason is this. It's really simple. We have, if you will, two brains. Did you know we have two brains? It's not just the Peters family that have two brains. The rest of us have two brains as well. I'm only kidding, okay? We have two brains. Well, we have two systems in our brains. Some of them call them the fast system and the slow system. Other people call them the hot system and the cool system. So the hot system and the cool system are the most interesting. I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me, okay? The hot system is, the, is, the, is our feeling system. It's this feeling that stirs up big emotions in us. When we react to something emotionally, it's our hot system reacting. It's the fight or flight instinct that kicks in. However, when we respond to something logically and we're planning, we're using what's called the cool system in our brain. And the cool system in our brain helps us to make sense of things and helps us to see proper patterns and make us plan for the future. Anyway. Here's what this guy discovered. He said, when you ask yourself again and again about your turmoil and about your situation, why is this happening to me? You activate your hot system time and time again. When you activate your hot system, the first thing that goes up is your blood pressure. It rises. Your heartbeat increases. Cortisol, the stress hormone, is released in your system again. However, 
He said that when they tried this very same trial, they did a trial over seven years, when they did the same trial measuring people's reaction by asking them to do one thing, and can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this one thing. If you're ruminating about a trial or a trouble or a difficulty in your life, and I'm not dismissing that some people have been through some incredibly, incredibly painful, difficult, and sometimes life-threatening trials. I'm not making little of trials in any way. However, he said the difference, that what made the difference was that if they could get people to look at their situation from a different perspective. They called it the fly on the wall perspective. So in other words, if you were a fly on the wall looking at the argument that you had with your wife last night, how would you say the argument happened? How would you say the events unfolded? And they found that people who were able to change the perspective, most people who are cool thinking can do this really, really good very quickly, he said that when people change their perspective, the result was that they were able to analyze their situation a lot less emotionally, a lot less of the hot system. Their blood pressure didn't rise. Their stress levels didn't rise. Their heart rate didn't rise. What they did was they looked at the situation a lot more objectively simply by changing their perspective. So let's come back to Job for a second and bear with me for a second on this one. Come back to Job for a second. So Job is in this situation. Remember, all of these events are happening to Job. His children are gone. His animals are gone. His farm has been destroyed. Um, his friends have effectively turned against him. He's effectively saying, God has turned against me. And he's full of trial and tribulation and his reflections on his life are not good. But then something happens. Another perspective enters the frame. Robin, can you give me a click? Another um, situation enters the frame because it says in Job chapter 38 that after all of Job's remonstrations, after all of his complaints, after all of his thinking, after all of his friends saying to him, this is happening because of this and that's happening because of that and this situation is because of this, God speaks up. And let me just say to you this, at the end of the day, at the end of your lives, my friends, at the end of your lives, only God's opinion matters. Okay? Only God's opinion matters. Not your manager's opinion, not with respect to your wife or your children's opinion or your parents' opinion, nor your peers' opinion. Only God's opinion matters. God spoke up from the whirlwind, Robin. God spoke, and he said, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And and what we would expect in the norm of the story is that God is now going to come out of the blocks and he's going to explain to Job all that was happening in his life. He's going to solve it because he knows the whole gig. He knows the deal. He knows what's been going on. But that is not what happens at all. What happens is he turns to Job and he says, you think you're so smart trying to figure all this out? And he begins to question Job and it goes over the space of three chapters. But let me simply tell you this. He questions Job about the nature of the physical world. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when the springs of the earth burst forth? Then he asked them questions about the nature of the astronomical world, about the stars. He says, were you there when Ursa Major was born and Ursa Minor were born? When the stars were flung into heaven and the angels sing, were you there when that happened? And then he talks about the supernatural where he says, were you there? Did you hear the angels sing? Did you hear the voices of the angels? Were you there when everything was created? And he goes on to say, were you there and are you there when the mountain goat gives birth to her young in the crag of a rock up a mountain when nobody else sees what What's going on in that mountain goat's life? I see what's going on in that life. 
Jesus said something very similar about us and our lives. And this is really important. When he was encouraging the early disciples, he was sitting with his disciples. This is recorded as the piece from Luke's gospel. He's sitting with his disciples and he's explaining to them about the love of the Father. Robin, can you give me a click? He says to them, he's explained to them about the love of the Father. And again, this is what he said to them. He said, what is the price of five sparrows? Is it two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. The very hairs on your head. Even if the hairs of your head are beginning to disappear, they're still all numbered. Amen, Brother Ron. Amen, Brother Tom. Because you'd have to cut... If you were to count the hairs in my head, you might find a handful more than you might find on Tom or Ron's. Actually, Ron, I think you actually win the prize because your ball is a coot, brother. God bless you. The very hairs on your head are numbered. Take it in for a second. That's, take it in in the midst of your trial and your circumstance and your difficulty and your why is this happening to me and your situation of questioning why is such and such going on in my life and in the midst of your possible and I'm only suggesting it's possible misinterpretation of the events in your life Jesus says the very hairs on your head are numbered nothing that happens in your life brothers and sisters nothing that happens in your life goes unnoticed to your father in heaven Nothing goes unnoticed to your Father in heaven. And Job listens to God explaining to him about all of this wisdom. And then it says this that Job replied, Robin, can you give me the reply of Job, please? It says this, and then Job replied. Thank you, Robin. Click again. Are we going to stop? Job replied to the Lord, and again, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? You see, Job gets it right. He gives up. He gives up. How can I ever find the answers? What am I doing wasting my time looking for the answers? He says, I will cover my mouth with my hand for I have already said too much and there is nothing more to say. Because when he finally gets a sense of God's perspective, even though he doesn't get the answer he's looking for, but he eventually gets God's perspective on his trials and on his tribulations, and it completely changes his attitude to his circumstances. Tom already shared it this morning. Peter said, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. That is his perspective on your situation. He cares for you. And it's not just about you. No, you think about all the people that you meet in work or in home or whatever situation, social situation you meet. And you meet people who've got big questions about why certain events happen. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in my life? Why did this child have to suffer in this way? And so on and so forth. And you meet them and you'll have people ask you questions. I was meeting somebody recently where I was meeting him to, do, to go through a wedding ceremony. And at the very end of the wedding ceremony piece... The woman said, you know, we're bringing along a child. We arranged a ceremony, bring along a child. This child is very sick. And, and then we got to what she really wanted to ask. She said, you know, Michael, I know you're a pastor. And I just want to ask you, why do things like this happen? Why, why is this child born so sick? And you could see that she really didn't care that much about the ceremony, but this really meant a lot to her. Her emotions full, her eyes welled up. And I sat there and I just said, well, you know what? We live in a broken world. 
But thank God that's what Jesus Christ came to redeem the world and sometimes he heals. And they got an opportunity to share briefly the gospel of Jesus Christ with her. And they began to briefly bring the perspective of God in her situation. Did she fall on her knees and say, what must I do to be saved? No, she didn't. But you know something? She's gone away with an answer and I hope God's somewhat perspective on her situation. When we change our perspective to God's perspective, brothers and sisters, we're getting the right perspective then. And it takes all the heat out of our life. It takes the pressure off for us to understand. And sometimes there'll be people who come into your life and they'll criticize you a bit like Job's friends did. People will come into your life and they will criticize you and they'll say things that are wrong about you and they'll misunderstand you. Can I just suggest something? Pay more attention to your creator than you do to your critics. Pay more attention to your creator than you do to your critics. James is writing, Robin, if you wouldn't mind, James is writing to the early Christian church and he writes this phrase and you feel like grabbing James by the throat when he says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Thank you, Lord, for all the trials. He says, he doesn't say, you know, put up with it, lads. He doesn't say, ah, just get on with it. He says, consider it a joy when various things happen in your lives. Consider it a joy. Cheer up when you meet your buddy saying, I'm going through a desperate time. But you know, God is building perseverance in me. Do you know what? I don't think anybody has ever said that to me. I'm a Christian for 30 years. Nobody said, oh, things are just going disastrously wrong in my life at the moment. But you know, God is building perseverance in me, so therefore I rejoice. Mm, don't think anybody said that. And you'd be saying, James, were you on drugs when you wrote this? Nobody, nobody considers it a pure joy to encounter trials of many kinds. Nobody is really that delighted that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Are they really? But then he goes on to say something really important. And there's a disconnection very often in these two verses. And people don't always put them together. But I'm going to put them together this morning. Can you give me the next verse, Robin? Thank you. Because he goes on to say this. No, back, back one. Thank you. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. No. Sometimes, and I've done it, and I think it's very true, sometimes we just need wisdom for, to know how to live our lives. Isn't that right? Sometimes we need wisdom, and God gives us wisdom in the decisions that we make. But that's not really what James is talking about here, because James didn't go, right, verse 1, I shall say, about trials and persecutions. Verse 2, I think I'll talk about, mm, I think I'll talk about wisdom. No, the two are directly connected. And what he's saying is this, if any of you lacks wisdom about the trial or the trouble that you are going through, let him ask God. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault or without showing favoritism, and it will be given to you. So are you in the midst of a trial, a difficulty, a situation? Maybe it's a situation that has been haunting you for years. Maybe it's something that just will not go away. Can I ask this morning that we would pray and ask God for his wisdom? Would that be an okay prayer to pray? And can I ask also that as we go back out into the world that we live in and to the people that we meet in work and in home and our social settings or wherever we meet them, that we would be interpreters of God's perspective on people's situations. 
Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a powerful inware tool to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to bring God's perspective in our situations? No, don't get me wrong. This is not bringing God's rules. And, you know, oh, no, no, I don't think you should do that. I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about God's perspective towards all humanity. You remember it says, Jesus himself said, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish or die, but would have everlasting life. Let's bring that perspective to our workplaces. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to pray. Is that okay? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing the song, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams and in my darkest hour. We're going to sing and then we're going to pray. And I just want to pray. Maybe close our eyes just as the band are setting up. Can we just close our eyes for a second? If you're here this morning and you've got this if you will, this is something that has been chasing you for years and you're trying to figure out why this happened and what went wrong and, you know, how did this happen to me? Or maybe even this morning, you're in the middle of a trial and, and you're trying to figure out what it is that's gone wrong. How, is God trying to say something to me here? Is, have I made some mistake? What is it that I'm trying to get out of this? Is God trying to teach me something here? Can I pray this morning? Or if you're willing... Let's pray this morning that God would give you wisdom. Would give you wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to everyone without finding fault and it will be given to him. Let's close our eyes for a second. If you need wisdom this morning, would you raise your hand? If you need wisdom to understand your situation this morning, let's see your hands. We're going to sing the song and then I'm going to invite you to come to the front and we're going to, we're going to sing first and then we're going to pray together. Let's sing over all the earth. Over all the earth, you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power. Over all my dreams, in my darkest hour. morning and you raised your hand and said Lord I need wisdom to understand my situation can I invite you to come to the front we're going to pray together we're going to pray for one another we're going to pray together and ask God to enter into those situations and enter into that reality give us the wisdom we need to go forward to understand where we're at as those guys are making their way to the front can I just say for the rest of us I want to pray as well I want to pray in a second that we would be interpreters of God's perspective of God's perspective in the lives of those we meet, in the lives of those who are around us. Amen. Lads, you up here at the front. Can I just ask you to push, push forward just a small bit? Can we raise our hands to heaven? I want you to raise that situation. You need wisdom. Whether it's a past situation, whether it's a future situation, whether it's a present situation, whether it's really real right now, let us pray. Let's pray. Will you lift it up before the Lord in your hands? Father in heaven, you are the fount of all knowledge and all wisdom. I thank you, Lord, that not a person here in this hall this morning, not a hair of their head falls to the ground, but yet you don't know about it. I thank you, Lord, you are a caring and a loving Father. Lord, I pray that we would have the wisdom of your perspective on our situation and our decisions, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would have, we would have 
the cool system operating that we may think clearly about what it is that you are doing in our lives Lord give us the faith the faith to accept that you are at work in our lives Lord because sometimes we can feel abandoned but your word says I will never leave you I will never forsake you Lord I pray this morning you would grant us the wisdom will you put your hands on your head just for a second or, you know, forgive me will you put a hand on your head and a hand on your heart because I think wisdom abides in two places Lord I pray we would have the wisdom in our minds Lord to figure out what it is that you are doing Lord Lord even if to not figure out what you are doing Lord to have the wisdom to trust you and trust your perspective on our situation Lord and in our hearts Lord would you own our affections despite the trial Lord despite the situation we're in Lord will you own our hearts Lord grant us Lord faith in our hearts and in our minds Lord that we might pursue you and follow you rather than pursuing the pure perfect answer that will settle it for us Lord I pray that we would have the faith to press on despite the absence of the perfect answer in Jesus name and God's people said Amen can I invite us all to raise our hands just for a second everyone in the hall if you want to pray for wisdom Lord I pray that we would be bringers of your perspective to where we work and where we rest and where we play let us bring bringers of your perspective into our college lecture room into our workplace Lord into our homes to our families in whatever situation we find ourselves Lord let us speak your word bring your perspective to trial and to suffering Lord your word says that you speak to people in different ways Lord may we be like Daniel or Joseph or the prophets of old Lord who brought your understanding to the trials and difficulties and situations of people's life Lord and we ask you use us to advance your kingdom in Jesus name and God's people say Amen, Amen. praise God we're going to sing up that song again then we're going to close in prayer sunset sky but my one request Lord my only Let's close in prayer. I'm going to invite you one last time if you're comfortable to raise your hands. If you're not, that's just fine too. Father in heaven, as we leave here today, Lord, we ask that your presence would simply go with us. Moses said of you, when you threatened to withdraw from the children of Israel, he said, it's your presence that separates us from everyone else, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would know your presence because it is your presence that makes our lives worth living. Go with us. Go before us, protect us, hedge us in front and back, side and side. 
in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Tommy and Quaken and brothers and sisters, we're done. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. We're here again on Tuesday night. And don't forget to vote after the meeting this morning. If you're registered to vote, please make sure you come and place your vote. And we'll see you again on Tuesday night and Sunday morning by the grace of God.